Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters, and Merry Christmas to each one of you, both here and online. We're so thankful that we can continue to join this way. I hope that your Christmas time was a tremendous blessing to each one of you. Certainly, this Christmas looked much different than any of us could have predicted and any of us would have chosen. Um, gathering restrictions and general 2020 strangeness continued. But in such a time as Christmas and particularly one as odd as this one has been, we are forced to remember the unmistakable and unchanged truth behind the Christmas season. That is the incarnation of our Lord. Christ Jesus, our Savior, born as a man, a little baby lying in a humble manger. Earlier we got to join together in a beautiful Christmas Eve service that hopefully brought all of this home to you. I want to add my personal thanks to all of the people that were involved. It was pretty, pretty cool for me to see our um, sign-up list for the Christmas Eve service and recognize that I think about 85% of our sign-up list were families that were involved in the service. And as a, as a pastor, to see the, the members of our congregation gathering together and worshiping God in that way was tremendously encouraging and Hopefully it was so to you as well. But now Christmas time is slowly kind of winding itself to an end, and New Year is coming. And in light of the truths that we've meditated on as Christmas came and went, I plan to bring this morning a message that reminds us of our responsibilities in light of the truths that we see in the Incarnation. In light of the Incarnation, which set in motion events that would completely rewrite our whole understanding of history, we have to respond. This attention to Christ that we see so clearly around Christmas time mustn't stop here. And it mustn't become so commonplace and assumed upon that our lives remain unchanged. In that vein, would you join with me in prayer as we delve into God's Word. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would never for a moment take for granted the incarnation of Christ. We would never for a moment take for granted that Christ came to live the life that we could not and die the death that we deserved that we might be restored to communion with you and that you ultimately might be glorified. God, impress that upon our hearts and as you impress that upon our hearts, guide and direct our thoughts and our minds and our actions as to how we should respond in light of that. God, how must we live based on the truths that we know? So Lord, we... Trust your Holy Spirit to be at work doing these things in our hearts and our lives. And we pray that 
your word would show us clearly how that might be accomplished. Lord, we thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my previous message on Hebrews, I skipped forward a little to focus on Christ's work as our high priest. But today we're going to rewind back to the warning passage that I skipped. As I've said before, Hebrews is well known for its five warning passages. And these are written to its audience, which was a group of Hebrew believers. So these warning passages written to at least professing believers. Today we're going to look at the second warning passage, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Again, if you want to get your Bibles open to that, it's Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7 and running to the end of the chapter. Before we read that, I want you to remember that in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3, we looked at Christ as the faithful son in the family of God, who was, quote, counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And then we, from there, we move into this warning passage, which warns against going astray from Christ. As we have meditated so heartily on the truth of Christ's incarnation and the surpassing worth of what the Son of God accomplished in these last weeks leading up to Christmas, I think it's appropriate that we be reminded of the gravity and the responsibility that comes with that knowledge. If Christ is who he says he is, who scriptures claim him to be, and if we claim to follow and know the truth, then we become accountable for that truth that we now know. So would you join me as we read Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7 and running to verse 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, let, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's word. Recognize again that our passage starts with therefore. Each statement throughout the last little while has 
um, been building off of the last. Today, from verse 6, Christ faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, do not harden your hearts. Today's message builds off of the faithfulness of Christ and our membership in his household as believers. But the authenticity of our membership in his household is dependent on our perseverance in the faith. I want to recognize right off the bat how tremendously uncomfortable things to get, tend to get as soon as you start to question the validity of a person's salvation. Is that person genuinely saved? And immediately we kind of get this like, this squeeze in ourselves that goes, okay, walk lightly here. And rightly so, for it is a fearful thing. But at the same time, it isn't something that the Bible really ever shies away from. Regularly, the writers of Scripture write these kind of if-then benchmark-type statements regarding a person's salvation. Romans 11.22 says, Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. One more to the church in Thyatira in Revelations 2, 25 and 26. The Son of Man says, Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. The Christian faith lived truly demands action. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, then we are his house. This means we as believers must keep meticulous watch over our lives. And it is to this effect that our writer exhorts his audience in our passage today. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is the issue at hand. Some believers spend their lives trembling paralyzed at the thought that perhaps what they perceive to be their salvation may not have been valid. 
Maybe they're not actually saved. Maybe I need to do more, be better. Maybe I'm not actually saved. Some believers, that is their day-to-day reality of this trembling that maybe I'm not actually saved. And that is the opposite end of the spectrum. For such as these, they can take comfort in the promises as we find in John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In my opinion, however, the greater percentage of us struggle on the other end of the spectrum. If the one end is this fear and paralyzing trembling that says, maybe I'm not saved. The other side is that we take it for granted, yeah, we're saved. And honestly, perhaps it would be good for us to spend a little more time looking over our shoulders, lest the hounds of hell be nipping at our heels. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, is quoted as saying, True religion is not a thing that can be acquired by carelessness or neglect. One may go to hell heedlessly, but one cannot so go to heaven. In our North American culture, both within and without of the church, we will hear constant streams of platitudes. You're enough. You're worth it. You deserve it. You're a good person. Our tires are pumped. Our ego is stroked left, right, and center. So it is small wonder that few of us really recognize the razor-thin margin by which we have been snatched from hell. It is only at the good pleasure of our Lord that we have escaped eternal damnation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. As we by ourselves raced headlong towards damnation, God saved those whom he had chosen. But we do not know, nor can we necessarily tell those whom the Lord has and has not effectually called to, and to those whom he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Recognize that this statement from Matthew 7, this depart from me statement, is being made to people who claimed belief in Christ. People who said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And again, it was to the church in the book of Hebrews that the author says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And it was to God's own people, his people of Israel, who to a one died in the wilderness for their lack of faith in the promises of God. In this context, the warning to take care lest there be in any of you an, un- an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's not being shouted outwards at an unbelieving world as much as it needs to be. Our world needs to be warned against having an evil, unbelieving heart. But in these passages, it's not being shouted outwards. 
It's being shouted inwards at believers at the church, or professing believers anyways. So to that effect, I warn you with the same words. As we enter a new year, do not become complacent about your faith, but, quote, take care. This taking care is not a passive state. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I cannot passively take care of my children. My, my children remind me pretty quickly when I start passively taking care of them. They want you to actively take care of them. I sat and played a little board game with Liana, and as soon as I started to tune out of the game that we were playing, she reminded me very quickly, no, 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 pay attention. We're, we're playing a game here. <laughs> we, we cannot passively take care of our own children, and we cannot passively take care of our own souls. And if you find that you are not working on the condition of your soul, then your soul is likely at the very best stagnating and more than likely deteriorating. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our adversary is not stagnant. He is constantly at work, and so must we be. All of these warnings can seem intimidating, and that is a good thing. We should live with a holy sense of fear that motivates us. But if we let that grow too much, it can become disheartening and paralyzing. Thankfully, you can listen to verse 13 of Hebrews 3. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to keep a lone watch in our campaign to care for our souls. That is why we must gather with fellow believers for the good of our souls. As much as I have greatly enjoyed getting together with my brothers and sisters from here at the church, pre-COVID of course, for a movie or for worship or to go hunting or sitting in an ice fishing shack, whatever it might be, as we do those things, the normal life, mundane things, the things that we enjoy, we should be regularly seeking to add things of intrinsic, eternal value to those gatherings. Not saying that there's not eternal value to just spending time together, but there are things that are clearly and obviously of eternal value. Even now when our gatherings are restricted, even in our video calls and phone calls and Zoom meetings and text messages and the like, we should be using those times to check on the caring condition of one another's souls. I will never forget when Sherry enlisted me to help one of her friends move some furniture. I knew this friend, but we weren't particularly close at the time. 
But we are both believers, and at one point during the process, this friend just asked me, so what's God been teaching you lately? A totally innocent question, no ulterior motives. But that question has affected me to this day. For some reason, that question struck like lightning from a clear blue sky to me then and even now. And it wasn't the question itself. It wasn't the conversation that that question started. It was the fact that that question seemed so totally and completely out of place in normal conversation. What has God been teaching you lately? Brothers and sisters, as long as today is called today, we should be exhorting one another, encouraging one another in our walks of faith. Our normal conversation should lean towards the things of God, not away from them. For me to be walking side by side with any one of you doing normal life things, changing attire, processing a deer, talking in the church foyer, eating a meal, in none of those situations should it be odd for me to inquire about the state of your soul and what God's been doing. How have you seen the Lord at work in your life? And I should never be surprised as a believer spending time with another believer and be surprised to hear a question like that directed back at myself. We in North America in general operate far too independently of one another. God designed his body to need other members of the body to remain healthy. When was the last time someone from the church walked up to you, and I'm not going to let you off the hook or vice versa, when was the last time you walked up to someone from the church and looked them in the eyes and asked them how their soul was doing? When was the last time someone walked up to you and asked, so what have you been reading in the Word lately? What does that mean? How has God been revealing himself to you this week? If you're like me, you'd probably say it's been far too long since you've seen that happen. And it's been far too long since you've made that happen. We really tend to beat around the bush when it comes to things that hit too close to home. We'd way rather talk about sports or the weather than something of eternal significance because it is less awkward and requires less time and less work. Brother, how have you kept your heart from being hardened towards the things of God lately? Sister, how have you been taking care lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart? Could we all learn to regularly ask these questions of one another if we truly care for each other as we claim to do? And great place to start for us married folk is in our marriage relationships. We should be having those kind of conversations with our spouses regularly, but it shouldn't stop there. We are one body, one family, the church. 
And we should be willing to walk up to a brother or a sister and care enough about them to know what God is doing in their lives. When we ask these questions that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As we think about the deceitfulness of sin, what comes to mind for me is the age-old adage of the frog and the pot of boiling water. I have read all sorts of back and forth as to whether or not that's scientifically accurate, but that is not the point here. It is. It gets the idea of a cross. The idea that if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it'll hop right out right away saying, nope, I'm not staying here. But you put it in a pot of pleasantly kind of tepid water and gradually heat it, the frog will stay there until it boils to death. Brothers and sisters, praise God that you have spent time here in a church where sin is called sin, where the things of God are approved of and practiced and taught and the things of the world are regularly spoken out against. That is a tremendous blessing. You have been taught rightly to avoid sin and all its forms, but the problem with sin is that it usually, usually isn't like the boiling water where things have obviously gone wrong. More often than not, it's like the gradual increase in temperature where our hearts are slowly hardened. A small slip here, a blind eye there, and suddenly we find ourselves properly entangled by the kind of sin that we would have rejected outright at the beginning of the process. We start with the small things and all of a sudden we find ourselves stuck in a tremendous mess. And this is where the body of faith really shines. If we are committed to exhorting one another, if we are brothers and sisters that are regularly involved in each other's lives and know one another well, if I am slowly slipping in my walk, but my brothers regularly are coming alongside of me asking me these questions of, how are you doing? What's God doing in your life? What are you struggling with lately? What is God teaching you? Then before I find myself at that wretched level of wickedness that I never would have imagined I could get to, my brothers should likely have noticed it and called me on it before I could get too far gone. Not to say that any is too far gone for the love of Christ, but I don't know about you, I would much rather be called on my, quote, little sins before I have to fight with the mess of the sins that bring your world down around your ears. So personally, do not let the subtle deceit of sin drag you down. As I've said before, we must do personal battle with sin daily. And brothers, don't let me battle my sin alone. Sisters, don't let your family of faith do battle while you sit on the sidelines. 
We fight the good fight together as a family. One caring for another, one bearing the other's burdens. That we might arrive at the finish line of our lives having persevered in the faith. All of us a little bit more tired for having to carry one another's burdens, but arriving together nonetheless. Romans 8, starting in verse 12, says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And all of these things, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. This echoes the promise in verse 6 of Hebrews 3 that says, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are able to combat the hardening of our hearts by the deceitfulness of sin by holding fast to our original confidence. This is that confidence that convinced us to commit our souls to the Lord in the first place. Whether as a child or as an adult, if we truly believe, likely at some juncture we came to a point of crisis whereby the gift of God became tremendously visible and we saw our need for him. This was where the Almighty God drew us from death to life, where he adopted us into his household as adopted sons and daughters of God. This sharing in Christ is sharing in the benefits and the blessings of his work on our behalf and is enjoying the privileges of membership in the household of God. I don't know about you, but honestly, looking back at 2020, it hasn't always or even often felt like I was sharing in Christ. I have not felt a lot this year like, man, I'm just really sharing in the blessings of God here in 2020. 2020 has been a tremendously difficult year for all of us, and we can thank God with our whole heart that it doesn't end in 2020. It doesn't end in our lifespan. What we experience in our lifespan is not the blessings of God. It is just the subtle foretaste of what is coming. We get a foretaste of the true blessings that come with sharing in Christ in a day yet to come. And this is emphasized by the author of our passage in his account of the disobedience of the people of Israel. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 
Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not ent- enter my rest. And skipping down to verse 16. For though, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that, that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The pattern here of the people of Israel is one that fits well with our lives where they saw and experienced the working of God throughout their lives in their time on earth. Whether it was leaving Egypt or their time in travel to the promised land or even in their time in the exile wandering through the desert, they experienced the work of God, but what they looked forward to was that final promised rest. And for us, we look forward to that same final promised rest. This promised land was what they looked forward to, and unfortunately for all who rebelled, save Joshua and Caleb, that was precisely what they were denied. Like I said earlier, these were God's chosen people. These were the people who, of all people, deserved to see that promised rest because God had chosen them specifically. God had revealed himself to them specifically. But their disobedience disqualified them. All looked to be in order as the Israelites passed through the Red Sea unscathed and praised God and rejoiced in him on the other side. I can't help but think of the parable of the sower that Jesus told and all things look good for those seeds that sprang up after falling on the rocky ground or in the thorny ground. But just because things start out right doesn't mean they will end so. What good is a non-producing plant? Even if it sprung up and showed such promise, it is of no worth. Matthew 7, 19, Indeed, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And what good is the appearance of faith that demonstrates by a lack of vitality and action that it is actually not true faith at all? It is of equal worth with a non-producing plant. James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 2020 has not been an easy year to endure. And I cannot promise you that 2021 will be better. I hope with all my heart that it will be better. And even more than that, I hope Jesus comes back and we don't have to find out. But as believers, for every year, for the rest of your life, there will be one way or another that you are plagued by the deceitfulness of sin. 
We live in a world stained by sin where evil and darkness and things that don't make sense will happen to us and to those we love. And that is the reality of life here on earth. But thank God that that is not the end of the story. But during our time here on earth, we must refuse to harden our hearts or to let our hearts be hardened. And as brothers and as sisters of Elk Point Baptist Church, we must refuse as a body to see the same happen to our brothers and our sisters without doing everything we can to intervene. We are not going to be able to fix our friends and our brothers and sisters here in the church. I cannot make a person believe. I cannot make a person stay committed to the faith that they have said they had. But I can do everything I can to remind them of the faith that they have called their own. I cannot even promise that each of us will stay the course and persevere to the end as much as that would be my prayer. But if indeed we do hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, then we will find relief at the end of the battle of life on earth in our promised rest. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, then we have come to share in Christ. And to share in Christ is to share in the newness of life that comes after our life here on earth. So in closing, I'll ask again, brother, how have you kept your heart from being hardened towards the, thin, towards the sins that so easily entangle us? How have you protected yourself from being hardened towards the things of God? Sister, how have you been taking care lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart. And brothers and sisters, I ask, would you commit to exhorting one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Would you pray with me as we close? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your works and through your word and through your church. Lord, we are left without excuse. If we have paid attention, there is a myriad of reasons to know and to believe in you. And Lord, we pray that whatever the reason may be that strikes us, that you would remind us of the reason that we have believed in you. That you would bring back to mind that vital childlike faith that came when we first believed in you. That our hearts would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin but that we might rest and rely upon you and the work of your Holy Spirit to 
bind us to your word and to bind us to one another. Lord, that as brothers and sisters of Elk Point Baptist Church, that none of us would be able to say that we were able to slip away without having a brother or sister check in on us. That we would not pass it off as a pastor's job or an elder's job or a deacon's job or someone more spiritual than me. But that each one of us would be committed to caring for our brothers and sisters because we, we call them brothers and sisters. And if we truly believe that those whom you have gathered together as a church are our brothers and sisters, then we should care for them as family. And to care for them as family is to keep an eye out for them, watch that they are keeping safe, and to exhort and encourage them if we see something amiss in their lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the foyer discussion and the group chat discussion and the Zoom calls and everything that we get to enjoy with our brothers and sisters where we just talk about things in life and the blessings that you've given us. But Lord, may we not be a people that would be surprised when our brothers or our sisters ask us, so what is God doing in your life? May we not shy away from it. May we not be hesitant to ask those questions of eternal value. And Lord, if we are faithful in caring for our brothers and sisters in these ways, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work binding us to the faith that we as brothers and sisters may run the race set before us with perseverance and that we would persevere to the very end that we might prove the validity of our confession by our actions and by our perseverance in the faith. So Lord, we commit these things to you. We commit our week to you. We ask that you would go with us and as we enter a new year, we ask that 2021 would be a year that you would continue to act and work on the behalf of your people and that your people would continue to act and work as people who are absolutely in love with and convinced of your truth. Lord, we ask for revival among our church and our community and our province and our nation. We ask that you would be revealing yourself in tremendous ways to the people on every level and in every community of our nation and our world. Lord, we thank you for these things and for our time together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.